Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Uh, welcome to another episode of Off the Bench with Cannell and Bell. Uh, minus Cannell. It's just me. I'll be rolling solo for the next three days. Um, football's back tomorrow with the Hall of Fame game. Uh, pretty big tournament in golf with the WGC Bridgestone event uh, in its last go-around at Firestone. Uh, we'll have you covered on all of that. Uh, we'll recap the Major League Baseball trade deadline uh, in a second. But first, uh, there are no pricks and props today, Debo, but uh, we have to just recap yesterday real quick. Myself and our guest host, Jamie Eisenberg, both picked the Nationals minus one and a half, I think it was. Uh, Debo faded us, uh, like he likes to do. Uh, he picked the Mets. Uh, and the Nationals handed the Mets their worst loss in franchise history. It was 25 to 4, bro. It was the final score. I don't even really know what to say about that. Uh, but I think we have somebody on today who may. And our first guest is, uh, Jonah Carey. Uh, let's welcome in Jonah. He's the CBS Sports Senior Major League Baseball writer. He's also host of the Jonah Carey podcast. Uh, new episodes are out every Wednesday. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Jonah Carey. Um, welcome Jonah. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, Eric should just quit forever. That's the end. I'm sorry, he needs to go accounting now. No more sports. Sorry. No more, no more sport for him. I'm with you. Uh, so let's just jump right into it, man. The biggest story of the day probably, you know, remains the non-trade, the, uh, the non-trade of Bryce Harper. Um, why do you think they ultimately hung on to Bryce? Well, I think they were conflicted because, and, and maybe rightfully so, you know, the Nationals, it was thought for a while, okay, well, this is going to be their time. They're going to start to pick up the pace and, here we go. Here come the Nationals. They're going to chase down the pretender Phillies and Braves. And it has not happened. The Phillies are pretty good. Braves are pretty good. They made upgrades to the deadline, too. And the Nationals have not responded other than trouncing the Mets 25-4. to They haven't been playing well this season, and they've been dealing with a whole bunch of issues. Bryce Harper's not producing himself. Uh, the pitching staff, they've had a lot of injuries, and the rotation has kind of struggled. Daniel Murphy hasn't had the season they expected. But here they sit still within striking distance of both the NL East and the wild card. And so they kind of tried to play it halfway. They traded him away, uh, one of the relief pitchers, Brendan Kinsler. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily that they were loading up, but they kept Harper. They kept Gio Gonzalez. They kept their big guns. The thought here is, all right, we'll nibble a little bit at the prospects, but we're not going to sell off. We're going to wait. And, you know, that's the thing about baseball, too. It's very convoluted, but you can essentially trade guys, excuse me, in August as well. Uh, during the waiver deadline, they're in the, they have the ability to do that. So if we go three more weeks, the Nationals are terrible. Then they could conceivably still trade Harper. They just weren't ready to pull the trigger that early. I gotcha. Um, well, the, one of the biggest names that did move yesterday was Chris Archer. Um, and he was dealt to the Pirates. What has that accomplished? And what, what's realistic for the Pirates to accomplish coming down the stretch of the season? I mean, it's a nice addition, uh, but does it change the landscape of the, the National League or the playoff race in any way? Well, it may, it may not. You know, they've won 13 and 16 to move to 55 and 52. So they're better, but they're still three and a half behind the Diamondbacks just for a second wild card. So that's the privilege of maybe, if possible, going on the road for one game in which you might get knocked out of the postseason, which is, you know, pretty rough and pretty long odds. But they're looking at it as a multi-year investment. They're saying, okay, you know, Archer helps our rotation right now. That's true. But he's also potentially signed through 2021, depending on some options and so forth in the contract. We're going to go ahead and get this guy because you just can't get top of the rotation talent usually. I mean, it's very, very difficult. You look at this trade deadline, who went? It was a 90-year-old Cole Hamels. It was J.A. Happ, who, this is true, has since contracted 
hand, foot, and mouth disease. I mean, <laughs> this is just a weak trade deadline, an unfortunate one when it comes to starting pitching. And so to get a guy like Archer, who's worth them giving up Meadows, the glass now, and the premium talent, because the thought is this is a guy you just can't get normally. So, you know, give the Pirates credit for guts and nothing else. I mean, at this point, should we be like concerned about hand, foot, and mouth disease? Like, is that sweep in New York? My family's in New York right now. Is there like, do I need to be concerned about this? I, it's, I, it's honestly <laughs> just like you know, and I have children. It's, it's just kind of it throws off symptoms like a bad cold. So it's not that bad. It sounds worse than it is, but uh, I don't know. I feel like we haven't had guys in the day. You didn't hear back in the day. Oh, oh yeah, you know, like. Jamal Crawford's going to go on the injured list, and he'll be out for three months because of hand, mouth, and foot disease. We did not see this with Tom Brady. So I feel like maybe it's a new phenomenon. Maybe it's baseball only. Maybe it's New York only. We need to get the bottom of this. We need some CSI hand, foot, and mouth disease. <laughs> I hear you, man. So, look, out of the other deadline day deals, like which one, which one of them do you think will have the most impact uh, down the stretch of the final two months of the regular season? Yeah, you know, it's a good question, and it's hard to pinpoint one. I mean, the Archer one is the most impactful when it comes to, uh, you know, talent and how much talent went, but I'm actually looking at what the Phillies did. I really like the acquisition of Wilson Ramos, who's a two-time all-star catcher. One time, two times. He's definitely an all-star catcher anyway. And he augments their offense significantly. They just were not strong at catcher. He's actually on the disabled list right now, but he'll be back soon. And the thought is that he could slot right into the middle of the lineup and really help them. And, you know, the Phillies are for real. You can't overlook that. It's not often that you see these worst-to-first stories in any sport or baseball. 96 losses last year. Here they sit in first place. And they didn't say, all right, well, it's a flu, blah, blah, blah. They said, you know, we'll trade real prospects. Maybe our time table might have been a year or two or three. But here we are in first place. We're not going to blow this. So they went out and they made moves for guys like Ramos. I appreciate that. Phillies give themselves a chance. The NL is wide open right now. It's not like there's one dominant team like there was last year. Dodgers. Two years ago, the Cubs, could the Phillies run the table and go to the World Series? They definitely could. I like the idea of being aggressive at the deadline. So, yeah, I mean, you took me right into the next question I was going to ask, and I guess uh, not to be redundant, but how many teams do you think could realistically win the National League? There are a lot of them there. I mean, like 10? <laughs> yeah, it really <laughs> is a case that is wide, as wide open as I can ever remember. We don't even know who's going to make the postseason. I mean, Colorado's right in the mix. Heck, and they were an all-star team, or sorry, a wildcard team last year. But their pitching has really come along, and they've got some talent. The Diamondbacks have got talent. You know, this is beyond the Cubs and Dodgers and the traditional powers. I'd like to see what Milwaukee could do in the postseason. They really made moves to upgrade their lineup, getting stock up yesterday. Got a second baseman named Jonathan Scope from Baltimore. So, you know, there's a lot there, and, and it's really, really hard to pinpoint one team. So I really do think it's more wide open than in any year that we can remember. And moreover, we don't even know who's going to make the postseason in the first place. I mean, you look at some of the teams that are leading right now, they could easily be on the outside looking in because the margins are so slim in all three divisions. Just so, so rare to see that. Yeah, so let, let me ask you about the American League because obviously the Yankees and the Red Sox both making deals around the uh, deadline and, and um, not as jumbled a mix as there was in the National League. But like, what do you, how many teams are for real uh, in the American League? Yeah, I mean, you know, for real is a tough one because what do you do with teams that are very likely to make the postseason but not necessarily as talented? So the Yankees, Red Sox, it'll be in. Houston will be in. Of course, Houston defending champs. And they made some moves of their own. But what do you do with Cleveland? You know, I think that's an open question. Cleveland's going to I refuse to say they're uh, franchise nicknames. So we'll just say Cleveland. You know, what do you do with this team that has really, really good pitching but is lacking offense and came to the trade deadline and didn't really – 
do all that much. He did get a, a guy named Leonis Martin to play some center field. He's all right, but it felt like they were lacking a little bit. Center field and right field have been weaknesses, and they didn't necessarily get all that aggressive when they had the opportunity to do so. Now, granted, the market for center fielders was brutal. There wasn't much out there, so maybe they were kind of stuck. But it seems to me that Cleveland lacks talent. Now, having said that, the deal with the postseason in baseball is a little different than other sports, a little different than basketball in particular. You look at basketball, people remember that Dikembe Mutombo clutching the ball and being on the floor think, when they beat Seattle 8 over a 1 because it never happens. It's so rare to see that. You know, usually you get a top-of-the-conference kind of team, like the Warriors or whoever, and, yeah, they're going to win every series. They're going to go to the finals. It's predetermined almost. In baseball, it's just not like that. You could take whatever one seed you want. They could easily lose. It's a little skewed because the last two years we've had Cubs, Dodgers, Astros, the really dominant teams go to the World Series. But this is not the norm. Upsets happen all the time in baseball because the gap between a great baseball team and a grab uh, you know, and a, an okay baseball team or a pretty good baseball team is not that large. And that's in large part due to the fact that you can't control it. You can't say, okay, well, we got the ball 30 seconds ago. Let's give it to LeBron. In baseball, it might be your number eight hitter who comes to the plate or your fifth best relief pitcher who's on the mound. And so it's wide open. So yeah, Cleveland didn't really do that much at the deadline. It would have been nice to see them do more. They're clearly not as good a team as, let's say, Houston or Boston. But could they beat those teams in a short playoff series? They definitely could. I guess that's either the beauty of baseball or the curse of baseball, depending on how you look at it. I hear you, Jonah. Awesome stuff, dude. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Again, that's uh, Jonah Carey. You can download and subscribe to his podcast. It drops every Wednesday, uh, and you can read his stuff on CBSSports.com. Thanks again, Jonah. Thank you, sir. All right, well, let's transition into a segment uh, that we do just about every day called You Have to See It. The Lakers, New Jersey's are official. Uh, they're bringing back the Showtime era drop shadow. Uh, and the new version of Showtime, LeBron James approves, uh, quote, tweeting 13 fire emojis. Um, I, I like the jerseys. I think they're dope. I don't. I mean, look, Lakers, Showtime, they better come out and they better look decent this year. That's what I know. I give LeBron a two- or three-year window to get it done. Um, but they are... They are setting a really high bar here, bringing back the Showtime era, drop, box, shadow, whatever you want to call them. They better be legit. LeBron and company, LeBron and the babies. Um, who else do they have around the fringes there? They got Rajon Rondo and, and, and JaVale McGee and the rest of the crew. They better be exciting. I know that. I don't know that they'll win this year, uh, but I expect a, a level of excitement back in the building and they should at least check that box, uh, for me to think that the, the first year is a success there in L.A. with LeBron and Magic together. Let's keep it moving to a segment called You Have to Hear About It. Uh, it's going to change a bit. Usually it's you have to hear it. You have to hear about this because, unfortunately, we don't have the sound or the footage from this one. Uh, rather, just reports, Draymond Green and Tristan Thompson reportedly uh, carried over their NBA Finals beef to LeBron James Espy's after party in an L.A. nightclub, uh, and the confrontation resulted in Tristan punching Draymond. Uh, Draymond went up to apologize to Tristan for what happened after Game 4 of the Finals. Uh, Tristan Thompson said, nah, man, and Draymond tried again. Come on, I didn't mean it. And it was, and then whap, Tristan leveled him with a punch. Draymond didn't go down. Wow. Um, I was, I'm on record, I think, as saying I didn't think either one of these cats was built like that. Uh, but if, if Tristan did not accept the apology and stole on Trist, uh, on Draymond Green, then I am sorry, Tristan. I misjudged your character. Like, good for you, bro. Like that, I was always that dude. And I, I, I don't know how NBA players or pro players get this twisted. I think the NBA gets it more twisted than NFL. NFL players, if they're beefing with you on the court, they're beefing with you 
off the court. So if, if an NFL player is pulling your chain like Aqib Talib or whatever his name was off Michael Crabtree, if he's ripping a necklace off of you on the field, then those two are beefing off the court. NBA players a lot of times get this misconstrued. Like, dog, you're going to talk greasy to me all day on the court, push, shove, and elbow, and then you think when we get in the bowels of this arena that I'm not looking for you? You got me messed up. So good for you, Tristan Thompson. I roll with you on that one, bro. Um Coming up next, NFL holdouts continue. LeBron not done with the Cavs just yet. What's that, Debo? Uh, that's next on Off the Bench with Cannell and Bell. All right, Raja, it's time for Read and React. I'm going to read these headlines from our website, cbssports.com. You can just chill out for a minute, ride shotgun. Nice. I got you now. You did a great right. job earlier. All right, so first headline, no end in sight for Khalil Mack and Earl Thomas holdout. So Khalil Mack holding out in Oakland, Earl Thomas in Seattle. Um, the Khalil Mack situation is really interesting to me. Like I, you know, I get that, that he wants to be paid, you know, in the, in the realm of like the Ziggy Ansas, the Demarcus Lawrence's, the Olivier Vernon's, and that's, you know, a 17 million a year, JJ Watt upwards of $16 million a year. And I, and, and that's cool. But the more, like the money aside, the more interesting story to me there. And the last time I asked somebody about it, they kind of just kind of pushed it away was, you know, the fact that John Gruden and Khalil Mack haven't spoke is just, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you come in as a new coach. You've been out of the game for a while. We talk about this generational gap. Um, and you would think that he'd be reaching out trying to make sure that that, that gap is closed and that he's on the same page with everybody that's going to make a difference there on his team, whether whether you're in a contract dispute or not. And so for, for the life of me, I can't understand that one. Um, and then in Seattle, like, I guess I'm not surprised because, you know, they've been trying to – you know, get away from that old identity, that that old defensive identity. They've gotten rid of a lot of the guys, like Bennett is gone, um, mm-hmm. uh, Sherman, Richard Sherman is gone, Cam Chancellor's out of there. Um, you know, there are a lot of those guys that aren't in Seattle anymore, and it's like they're trying to make a clean break from that Le- Legion of Doom type of uh, defense that they had out there in Seattle. So that's not surprising to me. What would be interesting to see, because he's threatened to sit out the whole year, is um, if he does it. I mean, there are not a lot right. of guys who can afford to do it. Uh, but at the safety position, I think he's been injured a bit. Uh, he's probably made a good bit of money. I'd be interested to see if he actually sits out the season. And as you can see, Pete Carroll said here on Tuesday, he said, quote, we did communicate a while back, but really there has been kind of a clear stance, and so there hasn't been much talk about it right now. Wish he was here. He's one of us and all that. We're really going to work with the guys we've got, the guys that are fired up to be out here playing with us. That's really where our focus is right now. All right, moving on to the next headline. Read and react to this one, Raja. NBA becomes first league to partner with Sportsbook. So this made history on Tuesday, becoming the first professional sports league in the U.S. to sign a deal revolved around sponsorship for sports betting. Commissioner Adam Silver held the press conference to announce the multi-year deal with MGM Resource International. MGM will be able to use NBA and WNBA data and branding in its sportsbook offerings, according to the NBA. This is why the NBA gets it right. It's why the NBA <laughs> is on the forefront of a lot of, of the stuff that's happening right now. Like the, the he, Adam Silver uh, was raised right, and I not, I didn't always love uh, David Stern, but he apparently raised a good young protege because Adam Silver is really good. Um, Look, this is it's a short deal, right? It's three years, and the money is not that bad for MGM. Like twenty five million, I would I would venture to say that that's light work to get the rights to the NBA. So the NBA is not making a huge amount of money on that. But they're first to the table. They're starting the relationship. They're getting their feet in the pool. Everybody's going to get used to each other. Um, MGM Grand is going to figure out whether or not, uh, or MGM Resorts is going to figure out whether or not it's worth it to be in bed with the NBA. They're going to figure out what to do with all this data, and the NBA is going to take a good look and see. You know, how lucrative this deal is for MGM, uh, resort. So the next time 
they come to the table in three years, you know, everybody can get a bigger piece of the pie or, or figure out, you know, what this deal should look like going forward. But just getting in bed with them, getting to the table and starting the dialogue, getting into a deal that's flexible and relatively light is good for everybody. Good for you, NBA. Absolutely, Raja. And this proves that sports betting is here to stay. So we should all just probably get on board with this one. Um, last read and react for you. So LeBron won't close the door on the Cavs' return just yet. So during an interview for his school opening in Akron, Ohio, LeBron said, quote, Listen, I don't close the chapter on anything or close the book on anything, but hopefully I can sit there one day and watch my jersey go up into the rafters. That's for sure. Roger, um, what's your take on this? My take is that I don't think there's any scenario under which his jersey wouldn't go up in the rafters in right. Cleveland first and <laughs> foremost. But uh, I, I look, I like that because who knows? Um, LeBron could go to L.A. It could be a, a, a smashing success. He could win three championships there. And, and he still may want to come back to Cleveland because that's his home. And I would hope uh, that Cleveland would be gracious enough at that point to welcome him home and have him finish out his career as a cat. Or... On the flip side, it could go really, really bad in L.A. Cleveland fans still would not hold that against LeBron. Like I, w- I was there uh, the first year LeBron came back, um, and I watched the whole downtown be revitalized. I watched the energy come back to a city. Um, I was there the night that they won game, which what was it, five? I took my kids up to it the year they won the championship. Mm-hmm. And like la- the lake front was on fire. LeBron single-handedly did that for that city. So e- if he goes and wins championships, they're going to welcome him back in his old age and let him retire as a Cavan. If it doesn't go well in in La La Land in the next two years, I would still imagine if he wanted to, they would bring him back and let him be a Cav. Like he is the Cleveland Cavaliers. No matter what other jersey right. he wears, LeBron is the Cavs. No, I completely agree. There's no way that the Cavaliers won't just welcome him back with open arms, regardless of the situation. So next up, we have like it, love it, or hate it. But first, Raj, what was that product you were telling me about? Oh, dude, I was brushing my teeth. Uh, this is the product. All right, so the truth is, the truth about most of us is we're brushing our teeth wrong, Hannah. Uh, not for long enough. And in some cases, too long. I brush mine too long. Uh, and forget to change our brush on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip so different? Well, for starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Um, you can get Quip. It starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash bench right now, you'll get your first refill pack free. That's right. You'll get it for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash bench. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash bench. All right, now on to like it, love it, or hate it. So the first one I got for you, Raja, Mike Tomlin's message to Le'Veon Bell. Hear this out. In an interview with our very own CBS Sports' Evan Washburn, the Steelers coach said that he wants to see two things from Le'Veon Bell when he returns. First thing he said was, quote, I'm hopeful that he'll get to us sooner. The next one was, I'm hopeful that he'll be in better condition even than he was last year. I mean, I hate to be like the emoji movie and just be <laughs> meh about this, but I'm so meh. Like what? I mean, good for you, Mike Tomlin, kind of saying that he wasn't in shape last year, but everybody knew that. Like you're not, like you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not telling us anything we didn't already know. Right. Um, yeah, you would hope that he gets in there sooner, but the problem is your front office and your ownership did not get a deal done with Le'Veon Bell. And then you put him out in the media and made it sound like he was turning down this big, massive, lucrative deal when in fact it wasn't what you portrayed it to be. So now you've got a disgruntled employee and he's down on South Beach and pictures came out yesterday of him yes, with a stripper and it's bottle of like Ace of Spades and 
So he's living the life while your guys are in training camp. Like, Anna, what's going on here? Um, but he does need to come back and he needs to be for his sake. Like, I ain't even worried about the Steelers at this point. I know he's contractually obligated and whatnot. Uh, but for his professional sake, this is just for Le'Veon Bell. Come back in shape. Rip it up this year. Let everyone know that the money that you asked for um, is is realistically what you're worth. The only way you do that is by coming in. Hopefully, you're you're burning your candle at night, but you're really in the gym down here during the day. Um, so you come in in shape. You rip off a whole, a whole bunch of yards, uh, and you get your money next offseason. I don't know, Raja. I mean, when's the last time you went out in South Beach and then you were able to go to the gym the next day? Yeah. I mean, he these these videos that TMZ released. It was like him at Rockwell Eleven. He was with his girlfriend, but um, he wasn't looking so good. Yeah, I, not listen, a good look. <laughs> I don't know when the last time I was out on South Beach. Period. Like I'm 41 now, but uh, <laughs> it is hard to do. But I'll tell you this, Hannah. Real talk. A mm-hmm. lot of guys like get in off season condition. Like they could come out. You can you can hang out, you can party, and then you get up around like I don't know twelve one o'clock. You get you get in the gym, you burn it all off, and right. then you just you, do, you condition yourself to do it again. I don't know how they get that done. <laughs> all right, next one: the Viking status as long term contenders. Like it, love it, or hate this one. So wide receiver Stephon Diggs signed a five year, seventy two million dollar deal extension on Tuesday with forty million guaranteed. Does this all come down to Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I think it does. And for that reason, I like it. Um, I don't love it because I don't fully trust Kirk Cousins. And I don't know that that's fair to him. I think he's good. Um, the money that he got, um, it's, deb- it's debatable, but, but I think Kirk Cousins is good. I think he's an upgrade, uh, at the quarterback position, but I don't necessarily trust him to be that dude that like carries the torch, um, for for years and years to come, the good news for them is they got a got a guys. They have a lot of guys locked up through 2020. So not only Kirk, but they got Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, uh, Riley Rafe, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, Daniel Hunter. Like these are all good names. Defensively, they were super super stout last year. Um, offensively, they got a lot of guys locked up. And with Kirk Cousins, you could make the case that they'll be better. So I, I like it. I don't love it, uh, and I certainly don't hate it. So I like it. <laughs> I wish we could bring back those sound effects we used to have where it was like, like it. Love it <laughs> love or hate it. Hate it. Um, <laughs> all right, so hopefully you love or hate this one and you're not so mad about it. The Rockets running it back. So Mello finally bought up by the Hawks, expected to join the Rockets. They committed another four years to Chris Paul for $160 million. And on Friday, Clint Capella agreed to a five-year $90 million extension. Um, the Rockets running it back. Just because I said I've liked it a couple times, I'm going to hate it. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna man. hate it, uh, and only because, like, I don't hate me- the Mellow signing, um, and I don't hate the Clint Capella signing. I think they're both good signings. They're, they're, uh, Do you really? Mello, well, Mello? Yeah, Mellow Mello would have added something. Here's the deal: I hate them running it back because of what you lost. Like, you lost two staples uh, of your of your defensive philosophy and what you tried mm-hmm. to do, and that's Luke Mba, Mute, and Trevor Ariza. Uh, you lost some playmaking with Trevor Ariza, and I don't think you filled that void with Carmelo Anthony. And I don't know what else they've signed out there, but I don't. I don't know that there's anyone out there at this point that can make up the defensive presence that they'll miss with Luke Mbamute and Trevor Ariza. And so for that reason, I hate it. But I like I like Melo. If you would have given me Melo in addition to all of the things that they had last year, I would have said, okay, cool. Like that. That's mm-hmm. let, let's work that because that's another guy who can go ISO. All they do is play ISO basketball. Um, down the stretch in the playoffs, you saw at times it became very, very stagnant. And if one guy wasn't producing uh, in terms of his ISO ability, then then they couldn't score. So adding Melo to that mix would have been cool for me. Uh, but when you subtract those two other dudes and you can't defend the wings, then it really doesn't matter what you do offensively <laughs> because you're just going to be like a sieve uh, on defense. 
Well, I like the positive words about Melo. That's the first. Um, all right, last one for you, Roger. So Memphis coaching staff, AAU Connection. So head coach Penny Hardaway and assistant coach Mike Miller closely connected to AAU, which has helped them in recruiting. Like it, love it, or hate this one? I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. A four-star class of 2019 recruit DJ Jeffries. He backed out of his Kentucky commit. That does not happen all the time. It does not happen. Uh, he played for Penny Hardaway's former AAU team. He... Um, He's going to Memphis. I think that, first of all, both Penny and Mike Miller are great dudes. Like, really good dudes that you'd like to kick it with, that really have a finger on the pulse of, uh, you know, of what's going on with today's young, young players and, and, and younger people. They both have kids that age. Um, their ability to connect, speak the language, um, I, I think is going to speak volumes there in Memphis. They're going to be back on the map, uh, as a, as an NCAA power. Uh, and not to mention that both of these guys, have their own like farm system, so to speak, with these these AAU teams. Penny's is down there, the Bluff City Legends down there in in the in Memphis area, and Mike Miller had Hoop City. Um, they both produce; those are big programs. They produce top twenty five, top fifty kids all the time. And you'd be naive to think that if if a kid played for Penny's AAU team or Mike Miller's AAU team, that they wouldn't have the best chance to get them at Memphis. And and that's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be grabbing these kids, they're going to be talking their language, they're going to be winning, and that's going to continue the cycle. They're going to get more and more and more of them. This is going to be the next Kentucky right here. Well, that's all for Like It, Love It, or Hate It. Raja, what's coming up next? Coming up next, we asked, you answered, with questions for yours truly. I'll answer them in, uh, in our Twitter Q&A next on Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Bell and Bell and Morbell, Raja riding solo for the next couple of days. When Danny rode solo last month, we had a Twitter Q&A where the people responded. We posted at Canelo and Bell on Twitter. What do you want Danny to answer? He answered for about 45 minutes. We're not going to go that long with Raja, but I put it out there last night. So the fans, the bench warmers asked some questions specifically for you, Raja. And we're going to start with our guy, Brandon Bricer. He asked, what works best or worst when you try to acclimate yourself to a new team, something you did multiple times during your NBA career? And then also answer that when you try to acclimate yourself to a new podcast? Ah, uh, Oh, that's a good question. What works best or worse? Uh, when you're trying to acclimate yourself to a new team, I think the best thing you can do is just go in there and kind of be, be yourself. Um, but have humi- some humility about yourself. Understand that you're walking into somebody else's like home. Um, and you, you know, it, 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 like you don't want to go in there and say the master bedroom's mine, right? And I'm going into your house. So like you want to go in, you kind of want to feel your way around. You want to be yourself. You want to be personable. Um, you know, you want to get the lay of the land before you start, you know, really, you know, pushing, pushing things out of place to make room for yourself. Um, but, but genuinely, I think the NBA guys in the NBA locker rooms, like they can see through fake stuff. Like I always could. So when a guy came in and he was fake, that only lasts for like two days. And then I start to realize that like, you know, I, that's not exactly who he is. So what I always felt is I just went in there and I didn't try to be like anybody else. I didn't try to, you know, I just did me. And I worked hard and I let my game do the talking. Um, you know, I was in the gym. I was shooting. Um, in terms of on the court, I always defended. And that always kind of makes people want to play with you because, quite frankly, not everybody in the NBA wants to defend. So they see you out there getting down and dirty and doing that kind of stuff. Um, they typically have some respect. So just be yourself, have a little humility because you're going into somebody else's territory. Um, and they'll accept you relatively quickly. And then you're part of, you're part of the things that are already flowing there. And then creating a podcast, dude, like, I don't know, man. I just, <laughs> yeah, I still have, I still struggle with it. Like when I'm rolling solo, I wasn't, like I didn't have a whole lot of practice. You're killing it. 
I just kind of got, I got, I kind of got going, man. Like, and I'm having fun with it. I'm learning a lot. Like, I'm, I'm doing reads now. And, and, uh, how do you create one? I have no idea, dude. I sit here and I talk into the mic and I hope that Debo, Hannah, and, and, uh, and, uh, and what's the other guy's name? Where's he at? What's his name? I forget. I don't, yeah. I hope that they carry me, dude. I just talk into the mic. <laughs> Danny, we miss you, bro. Hi, Danny back on Monday. And again, some big things coming for the podcast. We've said that for a while, but in the next couple of weeks, a lot of things coming for off the bench with Canel and Bell. Uh, Raj, the next question from Kevin Croning. In what year will the Lakers with LeBron win a title? And that's assuming they do win a title. He signed that four year deal. Do they get it done in that time span? Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. I would say that I don't have Golden State's like, uh, Clay's up at the end of next year. Durant yeah. has that player option. So I, yeah, I think it's twofold. I think that this one may take LeBron a little bit longer to get the pieces in play that he needs. Uh, he didn't get it done in year one in Miami or Cleveland, but in both of those situations, he already had the stars in place. Like he had Kyrie and Kevin Love already. Um, and he had, uh, Chris Bosch and Dwayne Wade already, and they didn't get it done in year one. So it definitely not year one. And then for that reason, he's going to have to find a star probably in year two. So I say year three in La La. And I think they get it done in year three because by then they will have paired him with one or two other people. Some of these younger players will be battle tested enough. They've, they'll be, they will have been through the fire enough, um, to really make a difference. And then chemistry just in general, um, will be built to a degree. Golden State should have some slippage at that point, either by losing players or by just generally having a whole lot of fatigue uh, mentally and physically. So uh, year three. LeBron has to worry about the Warriors, but also kind of the Rockets as well. They linked, uh, inked Chris Paul to a four-year extension. Um, and Water Malone asks, where does Chris Paul rank among all-time NBA point guards? There's some obvious names at the top of the list, but you also got to think of some of his contemporaries, including Steph Curry, who's a little bit younger than him, but seems more accomplished at this point. Where does Chris Paul rank? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, he's top 10. Um, and you've got the obvious is you have, you know, Magic and Isaiah and John Stockton and, you know, I'm throwing Steve Nash and Jason Kidd as guys that are kind of, you know, out of the league. But you're right. Then you have, and I hadn't really factored in, obviously, the new breed. Like, you've got Russell Westbrook and you've got Steph Curry. And, you know, he's in the mix uh, in the top ten. The jury's kind of still out. I mean, Chris Paul's been doing it on a super high level for a super long time. Um, you know, he had some, he's been plagued by some injuries lately. Um, I'd like to see him get a championship. Like, that would really help, like, solidify him and cement him. Uh, maybe his argument to be in the, the, the top tier of that second that second five that are in the top ten for me. Uh, so the jury's still out, but definitely a top ten. I'm going to just throw some names at you. Tell me if he's better than them. Your boy Steve Nash. I mean, it, it, it like, mm, no. Kid? No. Gary Payton. Oh, I forgot about the glove. Jeez. You're putting me on the spot, bro. This is That's the, the point of the podcast. Um, I forgot about GP. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll have an official ranking later. Uh, the next question from Aaron Orozco. I know you like both sports, but given the choice, would you rather be a top 10 pro tennis player or top 10 pro golfer, factoring money, lifestyle, travel, and work slash life balance? Hashtag benchwarmers. Thanks, Aaron, for the question. Word, Aaron. Great question, dude. Um it's a toughie, but I'm gonna. Th I'm not, it's not tough for me. I'm gonna be a pro golfer. It's not even tough because 
like tennis is a grinding, grueling practice sport. Like the amount of hours that you got to be out in the hot sun, hitting balls, like stopping and going uh, sideline to sideline, baseline to net. Uh, like those are like basketball training sessions, in the, but even longer. And so while golf, you spend a long day on the range and, and at the, the, you know, working on your short game and, and, you know, doing all of that, like it's relatively, you know, easy on the body, not the back or the knee, like the knees, but you're not pounding, right? You're not out there just grueling, stressful physical activity. And so for that reason, I'm going to take golf. Um, not to mention that like, and I, and I'm, this is if I was going to be a top, right? Top 10. Yeah. Top 10 pro golfer. Yeah. The money in golf is ridiculous. I, I mean, as it is in tennis, but I'm going with golf for sure. Which one are you better at? Uh, that's a good question because I haven't played golf in a while. At one point I was like a, I mean like a seven or an eight. Um, tennis is one of those golf isn't natural for me. Golf, I have to work at it. Um, tennis is a natural thing for me, although I haven't played in a while, so I'm probably rusty, but I, you could keep me out of tennis longer and I'll come back and look proficient in it. If that's a good way to answer that. We still need all these competitions between Canel and Bell. We teased it 10 months ago when we were doing rehearsals. A tennis match. Since then, we've developed soccer shootout. Um, yeah, we golf. Need like I a, think we might know the answer. 2 on two basketball. Like Olympics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's coming soon, too. We'll promise that. Uh, the next question from Dylan Raspberry. Raji, you didn't answer your exact top five, top ten in point guards, but we need you to answer five here. Five NBA players that would most likely make an active NFL roster. Who you got? Ooh, okay. Um, LeBron. I mean, easy. Six, eight, two fifty-five. What are you can do there. I'll say Russell Westbrook just because, like, he's what six four, six three, six four, two twenty. Like all muscle, like fast twitch. He's super. You think, think like D back great, or running back? I, I think I think he'd be a good receiver. I think he'd be a good D back or receiver. But I'm gonna say receiver. Um, I'm gonna take Drew Holiday uh because he's a freaky athlete kind of built like Russell Westbrook and all fast twitch and I did have him slotted in as a D-back. Um Nate Robinson also, he played at Washington for a while, high school player all through, I mean football player all through high school and he's a D-back um as well, I believe. And then one guy who I just think his attitude lends itself to football. I don't know physically where he'd play, but I really think Terry Rozier is one of those like gritty, nasty, he's tough, he's also fast. Um, physical. Uh, so Terry Rozier, and I don't know why. It's a good list. Uh, the next one from Eric Farrell. Raja, what's the most impressive play you have ever witnessed in person? It's a good question. Was it one of your own plays? No, 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 no. When you, impressive play you've ever witnessed in person. Um, uh, I mean, play impressive can take so many forms. Like I've seen a lot of like last second shots. Um, Kobe, you know that Kobe, we were winning, um, let's see, we were winning, it was a game one in LA, it might have been game two in 06, I'm trying to think, uh, we were up, Steve got a ball stolen from him, Luke Walton had like a foot out of bounds, um, he had, and stole it from Steve and he advanced it to Kobe, and I was running back to try to get in front of Kobe, and Kobe, I thought I had him set up for the charge, and it happened so fast that he euroed me, and I saw it the other day in video, and it happened so fast that I didn't even have time to react. He euroed around me, and he laid the ball up all in a matter of like, I mean, it was like a steal and a euro layup, like in one second. It happened so quick. It was pretty remarkable. And then um, he inbounded it, took two dribbles, and then just went straight sideways in the air so he could get some distance from me challenging the shot and Boris Diaw. 
who was coming over the top to try to affect it and knock down the game winner. Those were pretty impressive shots. Um, the most impressive, I've got a buddy named John Brennan. He lives in Brooklyn. He played with me at Boston University. Now, John wasn't a, um, uh, wasn't like the, the greatest college basketball player, but in fairness to John, he wasn't really given the chance to play a whole lot. John is like a six eight white dude from from Long Island, and so in the realm of like dunking, he'd be relatively unassuming. But John Brennan would come in the gym and do some of the most ridiculous dunks you've ever seen. And so one of my favorite, one of the most impressive things I've seen is he had a dunk where he would go up, he would jump off of his left foot, he would touch his left ear to the rim while he was cradling the ball, and then he would dunk it backwards after he touched his left rim and flew by the rim. And that was one of the most impressive things that I've seen over and over again. I envisioned a Kobe story coming. I did not envision a John Brennan story. Shout out, Brennan. Uh, two more in our Twitter Q&A with Raja Bell. This one from Christoph Alaska. Do you think you would play more of the four, the four position in the league, the way the league is headed now? And also, do you think your career is extended? I- I've said this before. I know you probably don't like hearing it, but based on some current guys in the league, I think you would be a 15, 16 million dollar a year player, uh, th- three and D, but do you think you could see yourself playing the four? <coughs> yeah. I just threw up a little bit, bro. Fifteen, sixteen million dollars a year, Jesus. Um, oh god, you just ruined my day. I was nervous about saying that on air, bro. I need a minute. I mean, if uh, no, I'm just making six. All right. <laughs> Here's the deal. I think I'm a little small to play the four. Um, six five is a stretch in today's like four game. Like, but I guess yeah. Why not? In theory, I, but I wasn't built. Like, I was only about two twenty. So, while I could say yeah in today's small ball, yeah, I would. What, what the heck am I talking about? Of course I would. I guarded the post a lot. Um, when we played like Carmelo's of the world, um, they would generally put me on Melo, even though we had Sean Marion a lot because, you know, I, I just banged with him. I liked, and he didn't like when I banged with him. I used to guard LeBron a lot. Now he wasn't great on the post yet, but they would ask me to do that and I was okay. I didn't stop any of those guys, but I was alright. I, I very rarely got posted a lot. Kobe posted me a bit, but it wasn't bully ball on the post. Um, and so yeah, I probably would play a stretch four. And the question about whether my career would have been, uh, would have been extended. Yeah, but not because I played the stretch four, but because today's NBA, they do such a good job in like monitoring your minutes. Like there was one year, Debo, I don't know if you have the stats there. One year, I think I might have led the NBA in like minutes played or something like that. Um, they used to just run us into the ground and they didn't give you that many days off in practice and the sports science and nutrition wasn't the same. So yeah, for those reasons, because the NBA and sports in general do a better job of like, uh, and they have got more science at their fingertips now, I think my career would have been extended. In 2006, you averaged 37 and a half minutes a game. It didn't lead the league, but it, it was up there. Um, would your league have been extended, uh, your time in the league, if Ty Corbin was your coach? He wouldn't have played you at the four. Oh, Ty Corbin. Where's Sorry, I keep, I keep ruining your day. We're going to move on to the final question. Uh, from the link. Podcast, damn it. Uh, were you ever part of an obvious rebuild? If so, how do you stay motivated in that type of situation? It's a good question. Um... So the two situations, I I got to Utah in 2004. It would have been the year after John Stockton and Malone retired. Or no, John Stockton retired. Malone might have went to L.A. And then we were in a rebuild mode. But the Jazz are never in, like, rebuild, rebuild. Like, they're trying to be relevant because it's the only thing they have there in Utah. And so, like, it was uh, myself, 
Um, Andre Karolinko, Matt Harpring, Carlos Arroyo. Uh, they had signed Carlos Boozer, I believe, and Memo Accor. And so while we weren't really rebuilding, we weren't what they were used to doing out there. And at that point, it was easy for me to stay focused um, and motivated because I was the only one out of those guys who hadn't been paid yet. Um, you're talking about Memo getting a monster deal, Arroyo getting his money, um, Boozer uh, getting a monster deal. And I was the only one that didn't get paid. So I had every motivation in the world to go out there. I was on a I was on a two-year deal, um, and 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 that's all the motivation you need. Like you want to go out and prove that you also deserve to be paid. And the other situation that I was in was I got traded from the Bobcats to Golden State. It was Steph Curry's first year, and they were trying to figure out what they were doing with Monte Ellis, and they didn't have much along. They was like Roni Torioff, um, Devin George was still hanging around. They had Anthony uh, Randolph. Anthony Randolph, yeah, um, Anthony Moreau, like, and this was like a like murderers row. Yeah, dude, it was it was it was rough out there, and I was only there for a month. Um, but I was also mode like you have you've picked things like I was rehabbing an injury, and my motivation was to get back. I was also again going to be uh, a free agent that summer, so I was motivated by the fact that I got to get this rehab straightened out. I got to get back on the court. Uh, I have to show people that I'm at least healthy enough to to continue my career, and so. You know, in situations like that, like you have to find something that means something to you, something that would keep you motivated. It might not be the overall team success if you know they're in a rebuild mode and you don't have a chance to win anyway, but you find what's important to you and what motivates you and you use that as your fuel. That was fun. Raja, you don't even have to be on Twitter. We can handle that for you for the (laughs) Q&A. On Friday, we'll have our five-star Q&A, so keep leaving those reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're going to get back to Raja in a minute, but now we have to Hannah for Refresh. The MLB trade deadline has come and gone, and the Pirates landed right-hander Chris Archer in a deal with the Rays. Archer has been an ace during his career, but was 3-5 and five with a 431 ERA for Tampa Bay this season. He does, however, have 102 strikeouts and 96 innings pitched. Two of the players traded for Archer were Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow. In the NFL, the Raiders do not have a contract offer on the table for pass rusher Khalil Mack, and there hasn't been any contact since February. That's according to a report from NFL Network. Mack is holding out of training camp as he seeks a new deal with the club. And while LeBron James was talking about the school he opened in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, there was one part of the interview that caught everyone's attention. According to reports, LeBron mentioned that leaving Cleveland again was difficult, but he hasn't ruled out a second homecoming with the Cavaliers. He said, quote, I don't close the chapter on anything or close the book on anything, but hopefully I can sit there one day and watch my jersey go up into the rafters. That's for sure. That was your refresh. All right, Raja, it's now time for Socially Relevant, where I break down everything that's happening around the world in social media that you need to know. So first things first, apparently Miles Garrett loves dinosaurs. And it should be pretty obvious, by the way, because his Twitter handle is Jurassic Miles. But so seven months ago in December, Brown star Miles Garrett sent out this tweet offering a trade. He said, if you see me today and I have a dinosaur to trade for to trade for it. I will buy and sign a jersey for you. Have a blessed day. Every second is a gift. So fast forward to today, Eric Sculpino took him up on the offer. Garrett made good on his promise, delivering a signed jersey to Eric's home. He tweeted out, I have Miles Garrett, a toy dinosaur, dinosaur I gave him seven months ago. Today, he personally delivered a signed jersey to my house, a moment I will never forget. 
Well, I think I mean, that's cool, dude. Like anytime fans and players get to interact like this and you made a guy's day, like I, I think it's really cool. And again, we talked about it yesterday. Like Miles Garrett is a guy who gets it in that regard. Like that's what it's about. Like those relationships and de- like developing a fan base and, and, um, making a difference. But like generally speaking, like what that dinosaurs? That's what I was going like, to say. I was hoping you would be like, on the what? same page as me. I was like, how does someone bring out of all the things you could request? A dinosaur? Mm-hmm. Like, if you told me, like, a fossil or something like that, <laughs> I'm like, all right, maybe, but, like, just a toy, a, di- a toy dinosaur. But you know what? You know what, Hannah? I have, uh, my nine-year-old mm-hmm. loves Planet of the Apes. Right. Like, loves Planet of the Apes to, to, like, point where he may think he's an ape. Like, he, he'll walk <laughs> around the house, like, and it's weird. Like, I'm like, bro, what is the fact? He'll watch it. All day, every day. So I don't like everybody's got their thing. I don't know. No, I get it. Jurassic Park changed my life. I was obsessed with dinosaurs. Moving on, Zion Williamson is working on his jumper. So we've seen the crazy dunks from one of the nation's top recruits, but now on their Snapchat, Duke released footage of a rare sight: Zion Williamson's jump shot. Will he translate in college and live up to this hype? I hope he does. Like I, I'm always pulling for a guy like that. I know what does not translate into college basketball um, is just, you know sheer overpowering at his size and, and not having a whole lot of skill. And I'm not saying that he's not skilled. I think he is skilled. Um, but polish is never a bad thing. And I think working on that jump shot, um, this is what you want to see out of a kid who goes to Duke, right? And this is why these programs are so good is they don't bring you in there and just say, all right, dude, we know that you're physically more gifted than anyone and you can do that on your level. And this is what we want you to do at Duke. They get you there. They appreciate all the things that you can do. And then they build the rest of your game so that you can go out there and, and, and flourish as a freshman and possibly be a top pick in the draft. So, yeah, I hope that it translates. That jumper needs a little work. It's kind of long. The release is long, but he's just getting started. So good luck, bro. And also, I have to add, his official height and weight measurements at Duke are pretty hard to believe. He was originally listed at 275 coming out of high school. Now he's added 10 pounds to his frame, made, making him six foot seven and 285 pounds. Jesus. That's a great though, bro. That's like, you're talking about guys who can play on a football field. That's him, mm-hmm. right? All right. Well, all right. that's all I've got for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Canel and Bell. Raja, what's coming up next? Fortnite news analysis. It's just, look, it's as simple as that. That's the tease. You're going to want to stay tuned. Turn to off the bench with Canel and Bell. Welcome back to Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. And this might be one of our favorite topics ever. Raji, you've talked about how you have skill coaches for your kids in both football and basketball, but would you ever get them for Fortnite or even for yourself? Well, these parents are getting Fortnite coaches for $10 to $20 an hour. And as one mother puts it, there's pressure not just to play the game, but to be really good at the game. Ridiculous. Your thoughts? Ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. I don't even, what do you mean pressure to be good at Fortnite? In school, like if some kid's good and your kid's not. Oh, oh, dude, people are so, look, I, I would not pay to have somebody train my kid to play Fortnite. Now me, on the other hand, I suck. So maybe I'd have somebody just because I want to be better at it. But like the fact that your kid feels pressure to be good at Fortnite and you're buying into that and supporting it, like I don't agree with, although I will say like, I do have my kids trained like in certain sports or I will train them um, in basketball at times. Um, the end game would be for them to be able to play in high school and maybe play in college one day if they wanted to. They are now like having competitive like college teams and giving away scholarships for like e-games, right? Like for gaming. So if you were going to tell me um, that you spend your money 
uh, to train a kid on something where he could play in college, and I'm doing the same thing. I guess I wouldn't really have legs to stand on. So, hey, good for you, I guess. We didn't ask this in our Twitter Q&A, but people are curious. Have you collected that first win yet? Oh, yeah, dog. I'm way past that, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, way, yeah, I mean. Way listen, past it. Yeah, but, like, I don't know how I feel about the playground mode. Do you play? No. See, my kids are all, like, into this playground mode now, and so, like, they'll be playing on, like, different like we got like so many accounts for it so we can they're all in the house but they're playing in playground mode it's not really a live game i hate playground mode but yes i've got i've got my wins all right our final topic of the day we probably don't have to wait for ever for the next sandlot movie just about 25 years after its initial release so 20th century fox is developing this prequel to sandlot but it's going to focus on the legend of the beast. It seems like a lot to censor one movie around. But talking about your kids, have they seen uh, this movie or some of the other kids' movies yet? Yeah, they've seen Sandlot. Um, I'm trying to start stepping their game up to like to more like uh, to older movies, like older sports movies. Like they got into Rudy the other day and stuff like that. I'm going to show them Hoosiers. So, but they like the Sandlot. I like I like Sandlot, so I'd be interested. Um, anyway, we, we didn't get to Johnny Manziel, but he's going to start this Friday. Uh, this was me, Dolo. I'll be solo for the rest of the week. Um, thank you guys for hanging out and, and tuning in to Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Uh, you can go follow us or download us wherever you get your, your podcast. Um, see you guys tomorrow. Thanks again. Off the Bench with Canel and Bell.